You know, life can be tiring, especially when you lose an hour of sleep. Uh, and, you know, maybe you add, you know, long hours at work to that or children or maybe um, a spouse that snores and you're just like, man. But some of us, despite all those things, we tend to just ward off. No, I'm not tired. I'm good. I heard a story this week uh, of a lady who had a four-year-old and she was, uh, you know, playing with a four-year-old on the ground and fell asleep. And uh, she woke up and she oh, got all these errands to run still. So she, she went out. Uh, they did the playground, they did the errands, she was kind of out all day, and she was wondering why people were staring at her in a funny way all day long. And she got home to straighten her hair and looked in the mirror, and uh, lo and behold, when she had fallen asleep on the ground, her four-year-old had stuck uh, six appendices of those Mr. Potato Heads (laughs) all in her hair. So there were eyes and legs just sprouting off all over her hair. Well, today, Jesus is going to point out those six Mr. Potato Head appendices that we are blind to. And as much as we might try to deflect, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm not tired. I know this lesson. But Jesus say, I think you might be blind in this. Blind when it comes to the issue of money. You know, we might think, you know, this is okay. We're fine. It's obvious. Yes, we can't take it with us. We know that principle. But Jesus says, you know what? You're failing to see the strength and hold that money can have on you. Next, you're going to say, well, I can see clearly. Say, you know, you are blind when it comes to the issue of materialism. And then finally, when we think, okay, I finally get it, and here's my attempt to course correct. Jesus says, no, your course correction also is off. It's not just, oh, if I take out these Mr. Potato Head things out of my hair, I won't be tired anymore. I fixed the tiredness problem. He says, no, it's, it's deeper than that. So let's look together, shall we? to the Sermon on the Mount, to an issue that we're many times blind in seeing, that he might open our eyes. Look with me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or as ESV says, money. 
This is the gospel of the Lord according to the book of Matthew. Okay, well, let's look together, shall we, in this passage. Um, Welcome to Emmaus Road. If you're new with us, uh, you are joining us on our 10-week series on money. Um, Oh, no, no, no. No, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you can land on things like this, like topics of money. And the truth is, if you end up reading about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, teaching on Jesus, you're going to end up talking about money because he talks about it a lot. I love what one pastor says. I can't preach on money as much as Jesus preaches on money or because I wouldn't have a church. Well, I'm going to take the rip the bandaid approach off quickly to this topic this morning. We are going to talk about money. And as a recent article pointed out, uh, it's a topic that is probably on the lowest of the list when it comes to what people want to talk about. It found that people are readily more willing to talk about politics, sex, relational issues, and even religion before talking about the topic of money. The article pointed out there's the reason why is because there is so much value wrapped up in the topic. Our happiness, power, our personal effectiveness, how successful we see ourselves. It's no wonder that Jesus wanted to talk about this topic so often. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants to talk about surpassing righteousness. Not just a righteousness on the outside. Not just a righteousness that pays lip service to religion. No, Jesus wants to go after all of us. Even the inner person. Even the most personal things to us. Jesus saying, my kingdom, which he's been talking about over the Sermon on the Mount, my kingdom is even over your pocketbook. It's even over this thing you hold so tightly. Again, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus lumps us in with issues about lust and anger, love for enemy, people pleasing. You know, the truth is we might have gone through all of those things and say, well, you know, those things are hard what he taught about, but I can do it. But then when Jesus starts coming after your stuff, clothes, possessions, money, then we start saying things like, you're going to have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. It's a story of a man that died, and he says, I'm taking my money with me. And he told three of his friends, he gave them three, each an envelope, each of them had $30,000 in it. And he said, when my casket lowers, I want you to throw in the $30,000. Well, one of them was a pastor and he admitted to the other two friends, I pocketed $10,000 for the new church building and I threw the other 20 in. The other one was a doctor. He says, I'm build- we're building a new clinic. I needed some cash. So I took 20 grand And then 
I just threw in $10,000. The other friend was a lawyer and he chided them. He said, how dare you guys do something like that? At least I wrote him a check for 30 grand and put it in there. (laughs) You laugh, right? Because you know the obvious. The obvious is you can't take it with you. You know, some of us think, you know, the followers of Jesus, they were so far removed from materialism. They didn't live in the age of shows like Storage Wars and Hoarders. I imagine what they would think of a show like that. And you think, well, they must not struggle with such things. Well, the thing is, Jesus reminded his disciples, his followers constantly, that you're not doing this job. This kingdom is not about money and gaining things for yourself. And that teaching was hard for the disciples. Many of them thought wealth was an indication of blessing. And when Jesus said things like, you know, the rich will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The disciples said, this is a hard teaching. In Matthew, after they've received all this teaching by Jesus and seen so many things at the latter part of the book, Peter, who opens his mouth quickly after Jesus talked about money again, he says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? Peter is saying, bro, what are we going to get for all of this? What are we going to receive? They too thought in materialistic ways. You know, in Lent, we cover the cross. Preparation for, you know, understanding what Jesus had to do. His going to the cross, his suffering. And it's very fitting because you see the disciples, the cross is starting to be uncovered. Jesus is revealing to them what he had to do. He had to suffer. The son of man had to give up all things. And even then, as it's being revealed, the disciples don't want to do it. They don't want that to be the truth. They don't want it to be the cross. They don't want to be suffering. They don't want their king to be crucified. They don't want to have to hear the message that they too have to pick up their cross and follow him. It was covered. It was veiled to them. What then will we have? Well, it's a good thing our hearts are not covered, right? We've seen the cross. We live on this side of the cross. Maybe Lent is for us too. Maybe we need to realize that part of the kingdom, living in this kingdom of Christ, is living by different rules than the rules of the kingdom of earth. Different rules that says, get what you can now. Again, we, we know the obvious. We, we can't take it with us. And this is what Jesus says in verses 19 through 21. 
Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Here he's talking about possessions like clothes, which would be destroyed by, by moths. Silk things could be destroyed in just a night because of a moth. Jewelry, where rust could destroy precious metals. She's saying even the smallest things, like moths, they can destroy what you value the most. So these treasures, there's more than just money. They're things that we value, things that um, we see that are important to us. Some good questions to ask of what your treasure is. Here's a question you might ask yourself. What occupies your dreams? That I would finally have the perfect house like HGTV. You constantly think about what antique to put there What couch is going to be in my house? Or what is going to look like this? I'm constantly dreaming and thinking of how my house should be. And when I'm by myself, that is where my devotion is. Here's another question. What do you fret about the most? My car getting scratched. My snowblower breaking down. My phone getting cracked. Here's another thing to know what you measure your treasure by. How you measure others. What they wear. Their education. Where they have traveled. Maybe their athletic ability. And a last question. What can we not be happy without? If I didn't have my iPhone 10, I could not live in this world. If I didn't have this or that, I just, I, 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 don't, I can't function. But we all know this, right? We know that our stuff fades away. That the eternal kingdom consists of something greater, something that will never end. So when my kids break my headphones, it's okay. When they lose my goggles, I'm good. When they scratch the wood floors at home, no problem. When the guinea pigs poop on the carpet, no big thing. No. I'm upset. I'm angry. And it really kind of reveals where my heart is. I'm not saying that my kids shouldn't treat my stuff nice or they shouldn't value those things. But my reaction to what happens to my things might identify where my heart truly is. I do not believe Jesus is um, railing against personal property or having things. Remember, Jesus constantly talked about um, not coveting over other people's things. It's okay to have things. His issue is against materialism. That we would, have va- we would value the kingdom of the world more than the kingdom of heaven. That is materialism. 
And we would cherish the creation more than the creator. Jesus constantly talks about this issue of the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. And the heart is the seat, what he says, the speed of spiritual, moral, emotional life. From it arises our behavior. It's where love springs from. So it makes sense. Where is your heart set? It's what makes this illustration so strong. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if your heart is on treasures with things that can destroy, it can be destroyed in jewelry and clothing, the illustration kind of is poignant. If your heart is there, it too will be destroyed. It too will decay. It, st- it too will become corrupt. Is your heart on things that are corruptible or not corruptible? If your heart is based on the one who did not decay, who defeated death, who currently sits at the right hand of the Father, that is a heart that will not go away, that will not fade, that will last forever. You see, the worldly person says, I own these things. But the Christian says, I am not the owner of these things. I have them on lease. They don't belong to me. I'm a custodian. I can't take them with me. I can only use them for God's glory. The Christian says, I must be careful about my attitude towards what I've been given. I must do what he tells me to do with my stuff. And I must hold them loosely and not be governed by them. Because if you are, your heart will just, it will tie itself to things that will just go away. Well, then Jesus inserts this, what I feel sometimes is just an insertion. This must be some, coming from somewhere else. He, he changes the subject in this illustration of the eye and a lamp and a bad eye. And how is this dealing with the idea of greed and money and wealth and materialism? How does this have anything to do with that topic? It's hard to see at first because we, we don't see the Old Testament tie clearly at times, or even the way the Greek is being used. But here, Jesus is giving us an illustration about the eye. The eye is uh, like a window, which light comes into and out of the body. When the eye is healthy, and that's the word being used here, the eye is healthy, it's an adjective there that probably... It's hard to translate. The ESV has used the word healthy, but probably I would say single and generous. When your eye is single and generous, then it will be full of light. The idea here is that 
The eye being single is not duplicitous. It's not torn over double things. And he goes on that later that you would serve two masters. When your eye is after one thing, it will not be darkened. And then when that adjective is tied with issues of money, it means being generous. So when you eye is single-minded, when it is generous, it is able to see things clearly, it's able to take things in. Your whole body is able to walk. Your foot doesn't run into things. But then he says when the eye is bad, and again, this is borrowing on a lot of Old Testament illustration of the evil eye. And here it means an eye that is greedy and envious. So what Jesus is saying is when your eye is greedy and envious, you're looking through a lens that you can't see anything. It doesn't matter how light the room is. It doesn't matter how much it has been illuminated. If your eye has been darkened by greed and by envy, you will not be able to see. Your whole body will be in trouble. Even how light it is, your foot will still run into things. Jesus is trying to point out this issue of materialism and greed. It can blind us so much. It is such an important thing. It's like the eye. That once it gets darkened, it ruins everything else. Nothing else can function. Well, let me illustrate this from a clear example where we see where the eye is darkened to taking it down where we think, oh, I don't really have a problem that maybe we are blind too. In 2005, David Sheff, the writer for the Rolling Stone magazine and Vanity Fair, published an article in the New York Times labeled My Addicted Son. Talked about his son, Nick, who came home from college read a story to his younger brother and his sister, a children's book. And then later that night stole money from their piggy bank. So he could go buy methamphetamines. That's how bad the situation had become in Nick's life. And so in this article, his father documents the seven plus year battle with his son over this addiction. Dropped out of two colleges, multiple rehab stints, homelessness. And Nick explained to his dad his treasure. And this is what he said to his dad about meth. This is what I was made for, dad. I was made for this high, for this methamphetamine to be coursing in my veins. This is my treasure. And it made me alive. See, that's ridiculous. Don't you see how it's destroying you, how it's corruptible, how it's taking you on this journey that's destroying your brain and your life? But Nick could not see it. Let's take a level down, shall we? In Colorado, when I counseled a lot of 20-somethings, when I was there, They talked about their treasures, a boyfriend, 
or girlfriend, no matter how bad they were and in times abusive, they said, I I, I can't get rid of them. When they were last to a horrible car payment for a car they could not afford and living in an expensive place like Colorado, they could not get rid of their car. That was their status. When they spent $100, $200 on their phone per month, and I said, you've got to get rid of this. No, no, I can't. You're, you're going in serious debt. And as much as I would try to point out, this treasure that you're holding on to is corrupting you, is destroying you, they'd say, no, no, no. Okay, taking it down even more. Let's keep going, shall we? Maybe I'm starting to hit some of you. Here's quotes from a best-selling author, a Christian author, from a book that was written recently. Here are the quotes. I'm not going to name this person, but I just, if you want to talk about it later, we can. This is this person's idea of success. All that really matters is how bad you want those dreams and what you're willing to do to make them happen. Learn to love yourself and give yourself credit. Then reach for more. Pick 10 goals, write them out every day, meditate them and go get them. Here's one of the goals that this person lists. I only fly first class. This is a Christian author. I love it. These examples are great because we can separate ourselves from them, right? Oh, I'm not that person or that person or this person. That's the amazing thing about greed. It's never us. It's always someone else. Right? There's always someone that has more shoes than you do. There's always someone that has a bigger screen TV than you do. There's always someone that has a nicer car than you do. See, greed blinds us to say, it's not my problem. And we scoff at these examples that I just gave, but many of us operate on the same vein. And if we had grown up in different circumstances, those might have been our vices. Instead, ours are what? A nice phone? A mortgage that's way too much? I mean, those are healthy, greedy things, right? It's not meth. It's not a first-class ticket. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the best-selling Christian authors preaches those things because greed and materialism has so invaded us in the American church that that stuff sells. We live in the richest time in history in one of the richest countries ever and we say we don't have enough.
And it's easy for us to read the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, I fall short in these other areas, but this one about greed, nope, don't have a problem there, when it's actually the passage that probably should be hitting us the most. But the reason it doesn't is because we have been so blind. I, I, I love, I, you know, we talk about issues in our day. The Corinthians passage often comes up where Paul talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the one that I always think about in that one is the sexually immoral, right? That plays well for conservatives. But do you know what Paul also lists in those who will not inherit the kingdom of God? Greed. He just keeps going. Jesus, stop. Please just stop. But he doesn't. He makes a single eye play out into verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, the solution to the problem is, well, I'll just balance the two, right? I'll just give a little bit more. Jesus saying, no, the kingdom is not halfway. The kingdom is full surrender to me. You can't be a Packer fan and wear a Jay Cutler jersey. Just can't do that. You can't hold both together. And it makes sense that Jesus warns us against this. Because money, it's, it's security to us. It's control. Money keeps me safe. Allows me to do the things I want to do and make sure that I have freedom. That allows me, if I have money, I have that. Maybe a good question to ask if you serve two masters is, who do you believe is in control of this world in your life? Who do you believe? Do you you think it's God? Do you think God's really in control of your life and everything? Then you wouldn't worry about money. There's a farmer, he had a really nice cow and it gave birth to two calves, one red and one white. And he came to his wife and he said, honey, I decided to dedicate one of these cows to the Lord. And what we'll do is with one cow, with all the proceeds, we'll keep it for ourselves. And with the other cow, we'll give it all to God. We'll just give it away to those in need. And the wife said, well, which color is which? He says, who cares? It doesn't matter. Well, we'll find out later, right? Three months pass and the farmer comes in and he is distraught. He says, honey, the Lord's cow died today. 
The white one. And she said, I didn't think we had decided which one was the Lord's cow or not. He says, no, I'm sure. I'm sure it was the white one. How can you tell if money is your security? Your unwillingness to give it up. If God is your security, you would give lavishly. You would give generously. Because God is your security. He's who you trust in. Now, I know some of you are not dumb. So many things are just swirling in you. The reactions against sermons like this, you have been a part of sermons like this, money sermons, and you're just like, oh, great. I see, I see what they're doing here. I have not asked you to give money to the church in this whole sermon. I'm not asking now. And that's what you think. This is some back way, way for the church to ask for money, to have a sermon like this. No. Jesus cares for us. He loves us. That's why he puts it here. He doesn't do this because he hates us and he wants us to just be in pain and suffering and worry. He wants to free us from this. And then we might take this question from maybe the church to actually a conversation with God. And we say, God, I've worked hard for my things. It helps me deal with the pains and sufferings of this world that I can just treat myself to something. You don't know how this world is, God. You know how hard it is to to scrape by, to get ahead. I love 1 Peter 2. In it, Peter describes what Jesus did for us, that he chose us. He called us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And what does it says? He took us as his own possession, as his treasure. Do you see that Jesus gave up the things of heaven? He even gave up the things of earth when he could have claimed them. He didn't give us part of himself, 10%, 20%. No, he gave all of himself to us on the cross so that we could be his treasure. So that we could be part of a kingdom that does not fade. I love this song. The wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. It bids me come and die that I might truly live. 
Have you died to the desire of money? Or does it constantly consume you? Worried about the next paycheck. Worried about this. Worried about that. That even when you make more money on your paycheck, your budget can never catch up, right? You just automatically go to the more money, I can spend it quickly. This is the constant battle we have. Have you finally been able to say, Christ, take it. Take this money. Let me die to this. Let me die to this master, to this king, so that I might live for you. And that when I do that, then I will be truly free. For some of us, that might be the hardest thing to give up. But there is good news. There is one that has given up everything for us. Called us his treasure. Shown us the way to go forward to the cross when we could not. That even in our stumbling, even in our falling, even in the ways that we have failed in this area, he has said, I still will die for you. You are still my treasure. We follow in that way. We trust in what Jesus has done and led. When we die to this other master. And when we live for a master that truly cares for us. It will not rust. It will not fade. It will be forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a hard one, and it can just weigh on us. Lord, help us to be an example of extreme generosity in your church, that people would see what it means to give above and beyond. And they would say, these people truly trust in something outside of this world. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, let's continue in worship. Let's stand together and uh, we will sing. Sing the Christian's hope can never fail.